Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Alicia Woods. With more than 20 years experience in the mining industry, Alicia understands what it means to push boundaries. She is the founder and CEO of CoverGals Workwear and an independent consultant and speaker. She's a strong advocate in encouraging more young women to consider a career in the mining industry. Part of this means creating an environment that acknowledges, accommodates, and celebrates gender-specific differences. Alicia created CoverGals to bring women coveralls and other PPE that fits and accommodates their needs, and her company has become so much more than that as well. Alicia is the recipient of the YWCA Women of Distinction Award, the 40 Under 40 Award, was named to the class of 2017 Young Global Leaders by the World Economic Forum, and most recently was recognized as one of the top 100 global inspirational women in mining. So amazing to have you on the show, Alicia. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast. Thanks, Emily. I appreciate you having me today. Well, you have been an inspiration to me personally. When I first started my company, Juno Jones, which makes steel toe boots for women, I reached out to you and you were so kind. You took my call right away, talked to me for like an hour and were super supportive and encouraging. And you sent me some products to use in our Kickstarter video and our photo shoot. And we, so we still have uh, all of his photos and it was really great. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, and I was like so excited when you reached out to me too, um, Emily, because, you know, I think for me, if I have the opportunity to share any of my learnings to help somebody along, I mean, that's what it's all about. And I absolutely loved what you were doing. It was something that, you know, we saw a gap with. And so I was definitely excited to connect with you. Yeah. And what I love about it is that as women, we love clothing and we love shoes and we really can't get enough of it. So I think as you know, all of these companies that are emerging, uh, I, I think it's wonderful that we all work together rather than, you know, think of each other as competition because, you know, women can't get enough of these things. So, And I love collaboration, right? I think there's room for all of us. And this is such a much needed, you know, with, with your work boots and the workwear. I mean, these are pieces that are needed to really help to make change. So I think it's important that we do come together and stories like ours will help to inspire other female entrepreneurs to do the same. So true. Well, I would love to start by talking a little bit about your background in mining and how you even got involved in the industry. Did you grow up in mining? It's funny you say that, Emily, because I always tell people, I feel like I grew up in mining. I was born and born and raised in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, which is home of the big nickel. We have more than a handful, a dozen mines uh, just within an hour radius from where I was born and raised. So you know, everybody in my family was involved in the mining industry some way. And uh, for me, it was my father, my grandfather, my uncles, they started a mining equipment supply company. And so on the weekends growing up, I would spend time with my father in the shop and spending those weekends with him really made me think, okay, when I grow up, I want to be like my father. 
That's so interesting. I don't think I realized that. So your family was actually creating PPE when you were little. This is what you grew up around. No, actually underground mining equipment. Sorry. So they were, uh, yeah, they were servicing uh, underground mining equipment and then went on to design and manufacture their own line uh, of products. Oh, so the equipment. Okay. But you were always around it. And so this was natural to you and you loved it and you looked up to your family and wanted to be like them. Yeah, I had always envisioned myself kind of filling my father's shoes. And I don't know if we had, if I'd shared the story with you, Emily, when we first connected, but my father actually passed away when I was 13. And at that time, you know, those dreams of me filling his shoes went away really quickly. So I kind of struggled through high school of what was I going to do with my career? And at the end of high school, I enrolled in college. And at that time, I needed a part-time job. And I actually found myself back at then owned family business. And that's kind of how, how I fell back into mining. Oh, okay. So while you were in college, you started working for the family business. Were you studying something related to that in college? I was actually going in to be a teacher because the business was no longer owned by family. My grandmother did sell it a couple of years after my father passed away. Um, I decided to choose a, a different a career path. But when I started working part-time at uh, Marcotte Mining, in administration, I just immediately fell back at home. And that's really what drove me to pursue a career in the mining industry. Okay. Now, so what was your first job then when you actually, when you stopped, when you finished college and you were starting to work, where did you start out? Yeah, I first started off in administration, but then really quickly moved uh, to start working with the um, mining equipment sales team. And at that time, there was no other women selling underground heavy equipment. So I kind of tagged, tagged along with one of my uh, colleagues. He was an account manager based in, in Sudbury. And I remember the first time he went to take me uh, underground, I had to go get suited up. And that's when I quickly discovered the lack or non-existence uh, of women-specific workwear and PPE. Okay, wait. I just wanted to, for our listeners in America, where is Sudbury? So Sudbury, Ontario is about four hours north of Toronto. And it's, a, it's known as a big mining town? Yeah, if you're in the mining world, Sudbury is kind of one of those capital cities, I guess, of mining. Okay, so it makes sense that your family would be involved in it and that you would get into it. So this is, it was your first job is that you said you were just talking about. Um, that's where you began to notice the lack of PPE? Yeah, because my, my first job was supporting that sales team with the goal of actually, you know, getting my own territory to sell equipment into. So when I had to go underground as a part of a tour with my colleague, that's when I went to the local safety supply store and there was absolutely nothing. I wish I would have had your boots back then, Emily, because I had to, you know, stuff the end of my toes with a pair of wool socks. The coveralls were too big. You know, the belt was too big, hard hat, but I just bought the smallest I, I could find and just really had to make it work that day. And is it true that you would actually not drink liquids because you didn't want to have to remove the whole suit later? Yeah, when I uh, got off the cage, when we headed underground that day, I got off the cage and I looked at my male colleagues because there was no women around me. And I said, if I have to go to the washroom today, where do I go? And they all chuckled and they pointed to the end of a very dark drift, which is a tunnel. And I, I remember, you know, thinking, shaking my head, going, no, this is not going to happen today. And yeah, so for the, the, those first 10 years of my career, I just never drank anything before I headed underground because I didn't want to have to take everything off. Crazy. You must have felt so dehydrated. You know, actually, it was not uncommon for me to get to surface and actually 
um, have migraines or even vomit just because of dehydration and not drinking anything throughout that shift. Yeah. I mean, like there's a temptation to kind of laugh about it, but it's not funny. It's like, this is really a serious issue that happens in so many different areas of women's health, you know? Yeah, you're so right. A hundred percent. I think, you know, when we first talk about it, there is a chuckle because everybody can, you know, envision themselves trying to take off a one piece and use the bathroom and you're not, you don't want to touch anything. You don't want your garments to hit the floor. And so that's, you know, you chuckle a little bit, but when you really sit back and think, there's a huge safety issue to it, right? Big baggy clothing. There's the health issue with women not wanting to drink during the day because they don't want to use the bathroom facilities and not to mention the inclusivity issue and how included do you feel when you have to wear your father, your brothers, your uncles workwear to do your job? Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. This is something that comes up in my community hazard girls, you know, with talking about safety boots and how women feel like when they go to the store and they look at the rack and they're picking out some safety boots, there's like one or two options sometimes. And it makes them feel like, am I even, do I really even belong here? You know, or, you know, they go to find something and it is, they're they're told I'll just choose one of the men's in the smaller sizes. So how, how do you think this is helpful to women's mentality and ability to feel like they belong in a certain industry or job? I think having specific PPE, you know, boots and coveralls for women is absolutely critical if we want to make change, if we want to create a more diverse workforce. Because um, if you think about it, when you get dressed in the morning, clothes empower you, they give you confidence. And that's carried over into workwear. I mean, if you're working, you know, five days a week, 10, 12 hour shifts, you want to feel like you belong. You want to be confident in your clothes. You want to do your job well. And I know for myself, I just... And I think too, Emily, I think some women just don't say anything, right? Because they also don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to appear like they are complaining and they just make do with what they're, what they're given. But it does have impact on mental and emotional. And also I would, I would assume productivity too. Well, let's talk, well, we can get back to that a little later, but let's talk about the coveralls themselves. I know you had started out by taking them to a seamstress, is that right? And getting them adjusted to your own body? Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, after 10 years of not drinking anything underground, I found myself at a potash mine in Saskatchewan in Canada, which was extremely dry and dusty. And before I realized I consumed three bottles of water and had to use the bathroom because the cage was down for maintenance, which meant we couldn't go back to surface for a few more hours. I was brought to a porta potty with no door, had to, you know, step in, turn my cap lamp off and, and take everything up to the bathroom. And it was a nightmare. And I went back to the station and I sat on the bench. And of course, you know, all men around me and I said, I will never wear your coverall again. And so, yeah, I came home, um, had my coveralls modified by a seamstress here in town. And what I did was incorporated a rear trap door that you would find in kind of old school on John's into the coverall. I made it appear as a fake belt so that it wasn't noticeable to those around me. And I had her take the garment in, in the areas that I needed better fit because the safety issue was big, right? When, when a garment's baggy, it just does not uh, protect you properly. Right. It actually even makes you at more danger sometimes. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's what makes it different then. It's got, it's got an opening. It's, it's taken in, um, in certain areas of the body. Is that, is there anything else that I'm missing about that particular? 
Yeah, no, definitely the, the fit and the functionality are the, are the key uh, components what makes the CoverGal different than your traditional male coverall. Okay. And um, what, what other products are you making at CoverGals? So yeah, we started with the, the CoverGal, which is a female coverall. And since then, we've grown our product line with cargo pants, work shirts, parkas, hoodies. And we also teamed up with Mechanics Wear to make a, a female-specific uh, high-vis safety glove. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I was going to ask you that this is all mining industry or do you do, do other industries use your cover gals products as well? Yeah. So we are born in mining and, and that's kind of where the where we first started. But we have since grown to introduce our products to so many other industries. So we're working with clients in oil and gas, construction, trades, even surprisingly veterinarians um, with you know large animals. And who would have known that the cover gal uh, could really be used in so many industries, but it is really transferable across so many. We just had a veterinarian buy a pair of our steel toe boots too. It's really interesting. It's, it's, I didn't think of it either, but yeah, women are working in so many different industries that need attention to these things. Yeah. And I think going back to the comment, Emily, about you and I kind of coming together and, and supporting each other. And I think Women in these, I hate using the word non-traditional because I just think they're roles, but uh, women in non-traditional roles often sometimes feel like they're on islands, right? And by themselves. So I think, you know, even sharing that, you know, we've come together will help other women to reach out to uh, others. So true. Well, as an entrepreneur, and actually a lot of women in our audience are entrepreneurs through startups or just working for themselves, which happens a lot because maybe if women are in these different industries and they're not really loving the atmosphere at work, they go into business for themselves. This is pretty common. So I know there's a lot of interest around this topic. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the process of starting CoverGals. Is it something like you just jumped into or did you, did you form an advisory group? How did you do it? Yeah, so it started with just actually, I made the pair for myself. And before I knew it, women were asking me, you know, where did you get your coveralls? They look like they, they fit you well, and you're drinking water. How is that possible? And before I knew it, one of the major mining companies approached me and said, we love what you're, you're doing. We love, you know, the coveralls that you're wearing. How can we support you? Because as a mining company, we want to support our female workforce and we want to attract more. So they gave us uh, about 10 or 12 women to test and trial the garment. And once we got the green light that it was uh, approved by their health and safety committee, we actually started to really think about creating a brand and how are we going to bring this to market? And a girlfriend of mine came up with the name Covergals and I'm grateful to her because it, it was just so fitting, you know, the female version of the cover all called the Covergal. And at that time, we were watching a TV show called uh, Dragon's Den, which would be the equivalent to Shark Tank in the U.S. And they were doing auditions in our region the next day. And I thought, maybe this is a way for us to actually launch our product into the market. And so we took that leap and went for the audition. And two weeks later, we were invited to travel to Toronto to pitch to the Dragons. That's incredible. So were you nervous? Oh my goodness, I was sick to my stomach. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was going to have a heart attack as I was about to, I call it walking the plank, but walking the bridge. But I did, I mean, I studied more that month in advance than I ever studied, you know, in my whole, you know, schooling. I, I, I walked in prepared, 
But uh, yeah, it was very uh, nerve wracking because when you do get to face them for the first time, there's there's no emotion, right? They're, I think they want to intimidate you to see how you're going to react and behave. But uh, it was an incredible, incredible experience and well worth it. So you just, you walked in and they were all just sitting there staring at you? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I walked down and it was a little bit dark and, and no emotions. And But once you start sharing your story, and I think, you know, for me, I was living it, right? And it was a garment that I had made for myself to fit a need that I knew was there. And so once I started to kind of share that they instantly started to engage with me. And then it just felt like we were having a conversation about a product and talking about the business. And then we started to negotiate. Oh my gosh. So at that point, you had been working on it for a while, right? How long had you been working on it? I would say probably at least two years. We had worked at least two years behind the scenes, uh, not even bringing it to, let's call it the public, just really perfecting that design, getting feedback, finding partners in terms of, you know, um, making the garment like quality components. We teamed up with 3M to use a reflective tape, for example, and really doing a lot of the homework. So yeah, it, it definitely took years before we got to a position where we were ready to bring our product to market. Well, Dragon's Den is a huge deal in Canada. It's, as you explained, it's basically Shark Tank, in the, like Shark Tank in the US. And it's also got some of the famous US sharks on it. So when you were on, you kind of won the internet, right? Because you did really well and people were going nuts. Is that correct? Oh my, we were, we are super fortunate. Um, like I said, I, I never thought that, we, you know, that that would come out of it, but we actually got the season premiere, which is the, the most viewed uh, episode of a season. And then we were lucky enough to have one of the dragons select us to feature in the season finale. So we actually brought Michael Weckerly, one of the dragons, underground in a mine. We outfitted him in a in a male version of the cover gal. And so we really got to highlight three incredible women in mining and kind of share their stories and, and the work that they do. That's so incredible. So not only was it amazing exposure for cover gals, but you really got to promote women in the industry to a huge audience. Yeah, which is really important to us. And I think what 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 came out of airing the episode on Dragons and two was so many women reached out to us because um, I think they felt alone and now they felt that there was a company that represented them and that spoke to them. And it really kind of just built a community, which was incredible. That's so awesome. So, okay. So you, you won three of the dragons, is that right? Like three of them made an offer? Yes. I managed to get uh, three of them to come together. I don't know how that happened, um, but, uh, it, but it did. <laughs> Well, that was a major victory in so many ways, even just for the exposure. But how did it pan out? Did you end up working with them? So we went through due diligence. So there's two stages of due diligence, initial and secondary. And so we did that. It took us about a year. Um, and then at the end of that year, um, I actually made the decision to retain 100% of the company. And as you can imagine, in a year, so much happens. We were able to engage with numerous distributors, uh, you know, major laundering companies, uh, bring on board new clients and start to grow our product line. So the valuation of the company really changed at that point. So the decision was made to retain 100%. Congratulations. That's that's really the victory. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Okay, let's let's talk about PPE a little bit. We know it's a problem. We've had guests our show complaining about the lack of gear available to them in general. And 
we've spoken with other women-owned businesses who are working on solving this problem, like I had was mentioning before. But I would love to hear your take on why it is so important. I know we've talked a little bit about the emotional aspect of it and fitting in. Can you talk a little bit about the safety aspect of PPE in general? Most definitely. I think, you know, first of all, PPE stands for personally protecting, you know, personal protective equipment. And we call these garments, you know, these garments are supposed to protect the person, yet we're outfitting them in ill-fitting workwear. It completely defeats the purpose. So when you outfit a female employee or even actually a male employee, right, because there's small males working too, it's defeating the purpose of protecting them, which is a huge, for me, that's red flag. That's number one. We need to make sure people are outfitted in proper PPE that it fits properly. And then, you know, jumping from the, the safety aspect, you know, health falls right behind. But I know as a mining industry, we pride ourselves in saying safety is number one. And yet I question some companies on, well, if safety is number one, why are we outfitting, you know, women in big, baggy men's workwear? I heard you mention before that you took one of the dragons, one of the dragons, I guess, down into the mine and he was wearing a cover guise. Did I hear that right? Yeah, so we, a lot of men were reaching out to us after saying, wow, like, oh my God, I love that. We have the same issue too. And we thought, you know, women have been without and been doing without. So we're not focused on the men, but we did launch a cover guy, which is the male version of the cover gal. But um, to be honest, we're not excited about it because for us, our real focus and attention is on women. You know, it's been an area that's been neglected forever. And so we really want to work on changing that. So we do have a cover guy and we did outfit Mike Weckerly in it, but uh, our focus, our focus remains a hundred percent on women. The Cover Gals workwear line has since grown and evolved to be so much more than a workwear company. It now exists to conquer three main pillars that you talk about on your website, health and safety, diversity and inclusion, and education and advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit about these three pillars and how Cover Gals is working to move those forward? Yeah, I think we've we've talked quite a bit on the safety and health aspect with as it relates to workwear, but in terms of diversity inclusion, what we found is, you know, and even education and advocacy, half of our time was spent actually educating companies and individuals on the importance of specific PPE for females, um, also help, helping to advocate for them, supporting different organizations and their initiatives and strategies. And we were doing all of these things informally. So we, we just, uh, we formalized it. So we launched CD Consulting, CD Align Consulting in the fall of 2019 so that we could work directly with companies on helping them to uh, create strategies and initiatives and, and support them along the way so that they too could create a more diverse workforce and create a more inclusive work environment for their employees. So we essentially just formalized the, the work that we were doing um, through our consulting division. So we, we really work to, you know, we want to be a part of the change and we want to support others who want to do the same. So you you have a consulting division. So are you sending, you're sending professionals into these companies to talk with the leadership? Yeah, definitely. So in the, so about a year ago, we actually traveled just before the pandemic hit, we traveled to Brazil to engage with Yamana Gold and they were our first client on the consulting division. And they asked us to come in and engage with their entire workforce, not just the females, but the males as well, and understand the challenges that they had with the existing workwear, perhaps uh, bathroom facilities, change facilities, equipment design, and really kind of give, uh, 
you know, honest feedback to the leadership team at Yamana on things that, you know, they could improve on. So that's kind of how we launched was through that partnership with Yamana Gold, you know, recognizing that, you know, they wanted to improve and support their female workforce. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was an incredible, it was so much fun. Yeah, I bet. Traveling to Brazil right before the pandemic had, must have been nice memory. Yeah, and I think what the company didn't realize is that the, the men were actually just as challenged with the workwear as the women. I mean, yes, there's the obvious issues with uh, female workwear, you know, fit and function, but the men too actually weren't as happy as I, th- I think they thought. Now, is that because it was just designed poorly in general or was that because it was designed for people that were bigger than the people that were wearing it? So what we discovered is, you know, men too are challenged with the current work where, you know, they face the same bathroom issues. Some men are smaller and just don't fit into the uh, traditional coverall. And so what we realized is the coverall has just never changed. The coverall has always been the same. So we're really now focused on how can we actually disrupt the workwear industry as a whole, because it has always been the same. Now, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, that includes, you know, the, the workwear, but does it also include the workforce in general? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think there's a lot of strategies and, and thinking around how do you attract a more diverse workforce, but I think it comes down to how do you create an inclusive work environment that employees want to be a part of? So, you know, how do we create a more inclusive work environment? I mean, there's so many different aspects. Workwear is one of them, but you look at, you know, equipment design, you look at even office space and bathroom facilities and change rooms. There's so much that we need to really take a look at and ask ourselves, you know, is this an inclusive, inclusive work environment where, and it's not just about gender, where everybody feels welcome. And when the company, the companies that are calling you in to talk about these things and calling your company in for consult, are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Is it because they feel like they need to fulfill, check off some boxes um, for their investors or for their board? Or are they, you know, are they really in tune with the idea that creating diversity and, you know, allowing different types of people to flourish in their workplaces is actually better for their bottom line? Is is that more their motivation? What is your opinion on that? Yeah, I would say the clients that we have actively engaged with, that is their motivation. However, I mean, you are right, Emily. I think there are some companies that, you know, probably just doing to check off that box. But we've been fortunate to start engaging with uh, some of the major mining companies because they truly do believe that they do need to make that change, right? So um, it's a very mindful decision and we're just helping them along that journey. That's wonderful. We had four mining geologists on the podcast a little while ago from one of the biggest, I think the biggest U.S. platinum mine. And they were talking about PPE and the issues that women face. And one of them, her name is Jessica Scanlon. She told me that her boss's boss, so the big guy upstairs at the mine, heard her episode and came to her and really wants to make sure that women are getting comfortable and safe clothing because they were talking about this on the, on the podcast so he set it up so that their department could test out new clothing and gear and then report back on it. And they got reimbursed for that. 
Well, you know what? Actually, I saw Jessica actually had wrote a piece, uh, which I came across, and I, I am planning. Yeah, I am planning to reach out to her because we have connected through kind of social media. But we're in the process of actually redesigning our cargo pant right now. We're talking with an Indigenous fashion designer here in Canada. We're going to do a collaboration on that new cargo pant. So I'd love to get Jessica's feedback on, you know, how can we really improve that uh, that particular piece in our product line. Really cool. Yeah, that's what the report came out of the, that meeting with her boss. So it's nice to it's nice to have a connected community where we all are in touch and get to talk about these issues and actually make make some change. It's really cool. I agree. And now the education and advocacy part of it. Do you do you do outreach with schools or colleges? How does how are you able to spread the word about the industry to young women? Yeah, we do a lot of work where we go into different schools and high school. And actually yesterday I had a virtual uh, talk with a grade 10 class at a a local high school here, but really trying to make um, that next generation aware of the opportunities that exist for them. And obviously our focus is on the mining industry because that's where we're born and, and that's where I've lived my last probably actually my life, but really, you know, making them aware that there's opportunities for them. The careers pay really well. And it's not just, you know, in the mining industry, you know, it's not just that traditional or where they think it's a miner with, you know, dirt on their face at the end of a drift with a pickaxe. I mean, that is not how the industry is. There's some cool technologies and innovations taking place right now. We're operating, you know, battery electric vehicles underground, operating drones and using iPads and really trying to spread that message about the perception of mining as a whole. So interesting. So they get to play with tech. They don't just, they're not just going under and digging some dirt. They're actually getting involved in the, in the modern technological stratosphere. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I'm sorry. Is that even a word? Stratosphere? (laughs) That might not be right. Let's just make it out. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Alicia. Yeah. We also support a science center here in Sudbury called Dynamic Earth and it's home of the Big Nickel. And there is an underground experience where tourists and other visitors can go underground to understand, you know, how mining was, uh, where it is today and where it's headed. So we have supported them with little mini coveralls and we've created like a little, a little fake mine, which is a playground. And so kids can dress up in coveralls and play in the mine and, and really envision themselves in the industry. So we not only go into schools, but we do support uh, organizations and facilities around us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crucial these days. You have to, we really have to plan for the future of the workforce. Sounds like a great initiative. Well, Alicia, what's next for CoverGals? What are you guys working on? So right now, uh, when the pandemic hit, we did make a shift and we started to produce actually washable fabric face masks in response to the mining companies asking us, you know, how are we going to protect our employees knowing that we're donating all of our medical grade PPE back to the frontline um, healthcare workers. So for the last little while, we've been busy doing our part in the fight against COVID and producing fabric face masks, uh, ones that can be reused. So now what we're doing is we're focused on, you know, how else can we grow our product line? What other needs are out there that we can help to to fit? And then expanding our CG line consulting and really engaging with companies to really help make that change that is needed. Sounds exciting. That's that's amazing. Where can listeners find CoverGals and, and check out some of your products? Yeah, for sure. And they can visit our website, www.covergals.com. And uh, also, you know, please, uh, if you do get your PPE through your company, um, have them reach out to us. And we love to work directly with them to make sure that the females are getting outfitted with their proper PPE. So true. It's very important. Well, Alicia, this is so fun. I love that we got to do this. I have been 
following your career and company for a long time. And I, I really appreciate your sisterhood and your support through our journey. And most of all, what you're doing for women in industry, you're really a trailblazer and we appreciate you so much. Well, Emily, and I want to congratulate you on uh, you know how far you've come to because when we first uh, talked years ago, you were just uh, kind of getting started and ready to launch and you have done some incredible things. So kudos to you and your team for uh, getting to where you are right now. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.